0: Jesus says woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep our Lord's brother James reminds us of this when he says grieve mourn and wail change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up the world loves comedy and loves to laugh. We all know that laughter is like a drug. It cheers us up, and it helps us to forget our troubles. Solomon said, Laughter does good like a medicine. But laughter alone is not the solution to our deep spiritual problems. The Holy Spirit is constantly at work, drawing us to Christ, convicting us of our sin and reminding us of the teachings of Christ. But people would rather laugh, mock, and be sarcastic than surrender to Jesus. Here is the Lord's warning to us. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow.
1: Well, here we are. Next week is the end of this summer series on on the beatitudes. We went first of all through the sermon on the mount. We looked at the eight beatitudes there. And then we went to the sermon on the plain. It's basically the same sermon, a very very much a, a, a shorter version of the sermon on the mount. Uh, but in both sermons we find the beatitudes and just a reminder to you that when jesus preached this sermon on the mount and then the sermon on the plain what he's doing is is he's really he's really giving an inaugural address he's is announcing the kingdom and he's telling us what it means to be part of the kingdom and how we as kingdom people live what our attitudes are and what our attitudes ought to be jesus understood that every human desires longs for a sense of happiness we want to know how can we be happy in this life because we know that this life is difficult this life is hard I think everybody here would agree with that it's a a tough life and even those of, of us who may be born to privilege those of us who have a lot even we even they would say that they would say that life was difficult so this has been a human desire, human longing, to know how can I be happy in this life? And this, this idea, this question, has dominated uh, human thinking for millennia. People of every age, uh, going back thousands of years, have tried to answer that question. How can I be happy? How can I be joyful? How can I have peace in this life? And so we find someone, for instance, like Socrates in 450 B.C., He says, the secret of happiness, you see, is not found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. What does that mean? Well, you can try to understand what that means. Uh, There's other Greek thinkers, philosophers, like Aristotle, who in 300 BC said, happiness depends upon ourselves. And then Confucius in 500 BC, he said, the more man meditates upon good thoughts, the better will be his world and the world at large. Norman Vincent Peale, some of you may remember his book, The Power of Positive Thinking, and it influenced a lot of pastors uh, in the 80s especially. That's when it really sort of blew up in terms of, of uh, its, its, its influence on On the church and christian thinking and a lot of pastors would reference this book the power of thinking positively in order to be happy and so on and so forth in psychology they have what's called cognitive behavioral therapy and what they what this is is it's a it's a method or a way of helping people to to see the connections between their thoughts and their feelings and their behaviors and so psychology, uh, the psychology of the last 100 years has really tried to, to dig into this and tried to understand it. In fact, there's people have their, their, their doctorates, uh, they've done their thesis based on this search for understanding how people can be happy. It's, it's huge business now. And if you go to the the, uh, how-to section in the bookstore, if you Google it online, you'll see there's all kinds of books that try to discuss the question, how can I be happy? Well, the good news is that Jesus Christ himself begins his ministry by teaching us where we can find happiness, how we can find happiness. As long as... Christians are looking to Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and Confucius and and Norman Vincent Peale. Uh, The more we do that, the more confused we're going to be. We're trying to figure out how to get this life right. And sometimes, folks, let's just be honest about this. Sometimes Jesus says things to us and we don't like to hear it. It's like, well, I don't know if I really want that. I like a lot of what jesus says but i don't like all of it so i'm going to just sort of piece together my own truth my own my own truth you have your truth i have my truth i want you to know today that the the notion the idea that you have your truth and i have my truth is first of all it's not logical because truth is truth you cannot have two people who disagree with you And say that both people are telling the truth it's not logical so what we need to do is we need to go to christ and we need to find out what does christ have to say about happiness and the wonderful thing is that christ understands that this is what we all want to know and that is how he begins his ministry by addressing that very question how can i be happy Hey, as long as we are turning to people like Socrates and turning to Plato, we are going to be confused and mixed up. We are not going to know the truth because you cannot take Christ and add to it Socrates, Plato. Christ stands alone. The truth stands alone. And you may be angry at me for saying this to you, but I'm telling you what the Scripture tells us. We need to know what is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And gospel, in case you don't know what that is, is good news. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? What does he teach us in order that we may have life and have it more abundantly? We have to know the teachings of Christ. Christ is the source Christ gives us the direction and the guidance. So many of us are caught up in counterfeits. We get on whatever bandwagon's going through town. Uh, John MacArthur, in um, one of his books, the, the title of it, Escapes Me, he, he talks about how, how people who are working with money in, in In the fraud division at the fbi the way that they learn to understand what is counterfeit and what is not you know what they do they don't study the counterfeits what they do is they study the real thing and the more they study it the more they're able to understand and recognize what is counterfeit now the same thing applies to us the more you know the teachings of christ the more you study the teachings of christ the more that you are 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 constantly look at this feeding on the teachings of Christ the more you will be able to recognize what is in fact counterfeit and what in fact is not the truth so although this may be logical to you it might make sense to your natural mind this is not the truth and I know some of you are thinking, Alan Duncan, do you dare say that anything Socrates has said is not the truth? Socrates has been revered for thousands of years. And I would say, yes, yeah, Socrates is not telling you the truth. He's telling you what makes sense to him what seems logical to him and that is the problem with so many lies from the pit of hell is it all seems logical and it seems to make sense and in your mind you can justify it and you can explain it and you can expound upon it but the fact of the matter is is it's not the gospel it's not the teachings of jesus christ you cannot add to the teachings of christ To understand happiness, then, means that we must turn to Christ and find out how to be happy in this life. And that's exactly what Jesus does in the Beatitudes. So, we've been talking about the Beatitudes of Matthew, and now we're looking at the uh, Beatitudes in Luke, the Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus uses a very interesting teaching tool and uh, it's, it's, it's stating the truth positively and then stating the truth negatively. And so this is the third beatitude. Next week is our final uh, message on this. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, are you who weep now, for you shall laugh, and woe to you, or cursed. These are very strong words. Cursed are you who laugh now, for you shall mourn, and you shall weep. Can I just tell you, but I recognize, as 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 I think that some of you are thinking this, that that doesn't really make sense, does it? It seems to me to be a contradictory statement. Blessed or happy are you who, who weep. Happy are you who cry. Well, that doesn't make sense. It's two contradictory ideas. Blessed are you who weep. Now, for you shall laugh. Well, before I go any further, I've got to point something out to you. So much of what Jesus teaches can, for some people, seem to be nonsense. I hear that all the time. People say, well, Pastor Allen, i read my Bible, and I read it, and I pick it up. It doesn't make any sense to me, and I just throw it down in frustration. And Jesus says such strange things, contradictory things, like in Mark chapter 8. Verse 35, whoever wishes to save his life must lose it. What does that mean? On the one hand, he's telling us to love God and to love others, and then he's telling us to hate our family. What does that mean? That's, that doesn't make sense. In Mark chapter 9.35, if anyone who wants to be first, he has to be last. And whoever wishes to become great must become a servant. Whoever wishes to be first, shall be a slave of all jesus makes all these contradictory statements and and many people who are enemies of the gospel enemies of christ they'll say see he's a madman what he's saying doesn't make any sense and with the natural mind it's true it doesn't make sense but to the spiritual mind the mind that has been touched by the spirit of god the one whose spiritual eyes have been open whose ears have been opened, it makes a lot of sense. And this is what Paul is talking about when he was speaking to the Corinthians and saying truth can only be understood by those whose hearts have been born again. Listen to what he says here. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them what? Foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So the next time someone comes along to you and you feel intimidated because they're saying that your religion doesn't make sense, say, well, it doesn't make sense to you because you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And some of you have maybe lost your confidence. You've felt like, well, maybe, maybe my faith doesn't make sense. Maybe it's, maybe it's not legitimate. Maybe it is illogical. I'm going to tell you there's nothing more logical, nothing that makes more sense than the teachings of Jesus Christ. But, my friends, you're going to have to study them. You have to read it. And I'm telling you, it's not difficult to do. I remember reading through the New Testament when I was only eight years old. It was so thrilling. I did it again. How could I, as an eight-year-old, read the New Testament, and it makes sense to me? I'll tell you how. Because the Spirit of the living God was upon me, opening my spiritual eyes to understand. Did I understand all of it? No. But I understood enough to know that I was satisfied. I I was full after reading the words of Christ. So, what does Jesus mean here? Happy are you who cry. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is discussing here, and we we talked about this this beatitude when we were in the book of Matthew, so we'll we'll touch on it again. He's talking about this emotional breakdown that happens uh, when people recognize that they're spiritually bankrupt. When you recognize, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of God's glory. I'm not who I should be. I'm not where I need to be. And you are mourning, mourning because you understand that in your sin, before you're converted, you are in bondage to sin. You are poor, you are a prisoner of darkness, you are in a condition of of, of oppression, oppressed by the God of this world, you're burdened, you're disappointed, and you understand that that you are miles, you are, you are a universe away from God. And we talked about this last week. We said that in the heart of every human is that God-shaped hole that only God can fill. You've come to that place where you're mourning because you understand how far away you are from God. That's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are you who are weeping. You understand The condition of your own heart and you understand your need of god i wonder today if you understand that you're you've experienced that very thing well jesus is saying that the sorrow the sorrow here is a sorrow this weeping is the weeping and the sorrow that comes with repentance you were going in this direction you were going the wrong way you are messing up your life you kept choosing the wrong things your life is a shambles and you are mourning and you're weeping because no matter what you do no matter how hard you try you can never find happiness and satisfaction and then God in his grace and his mercy he reveals himself to you and suddenly you decide or you recognize you're going in the wrong direction And you weep because of your sorrow and sadness, and you do an about face, and you start following Christ. You start going the way that Christ has taught. This is the sorrow of repentance. And James writes about that. He says, be miserable. Now, can you imagine coming to church and hearing your pastor say to you, be miserable and mourn and weep? That's not a message that you want to hear when you go to church, but that's exactly what James says to those who are reading this epistle. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Okay, you may go home now. That's not a message you're going to hear on TV from any TV preacher. But this is what James says. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. What's James telling us here? He's saying it's very easy to get caught up in the things of this world to find our happiness or try to find our happiness and our joy in the things of this world, but James is saying no. This world can never satisfy you, and some of us have gone through some terrible, terrible crises in our life where we finally... We'll say, I give up, Lord. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I gotta start doing it your way. James says, start start mourning, start weeping, start recognizing the state of your heart, the condition of your heart, your inclination to things that are evil. We all know what I'm talking about here. This is the inclination of every human heart, to follow what is evil, to, find, to try to find happiness and satisfaction in the things of this world. This world does not make you happy. It's never been able to make anybody happy. If that were the case, if this world could truly make us happy, then Socrates and Plato, Aristotle and Confucius would not be having the discussion about how to be happy. Norman Vincent Peale wouldn't have to write a book, The Power of Positive Thinking. This world does not make us happy. And so James says, you need to mourn and weep and be miserable. Or as Jesus says, weep now. Understand your human sinful condition. Understand that what you really need is Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. That's the point of weeping. That's the point of this, this mourning and weeping that James is speaking about. He says the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in what? In salvation. And that's how many of us came to Christ in the first place. We came to the end of ourselves. The, the, the pain and the suffering of our sin drove us to God, to cry out to him for mercy, and then we found salvation. That's what Jesus is talking about. There's some people who never, will never do this. They'll never find the happiness that comes through weeping now, weeping because of our sin, weeping because of our spiritual bankruptcy. And by the way there's all kinds of people who grew up in their church they're in the church their whole life and don't have a clue what this means don't have a hot clue we'll talk more about that in a moment Paul says this kind of this kind of sorrow that that brings us to God he says there's no regret for that kind of sorrow in other words you don't say oh I wish I wasn't crying because of my sin no Paul says quite the opposite he says he says this 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 worldly sorrow that we may experience from time to time, it lacks repentance, which results in spiritual death. But the weeping, the the suffering that comes from our sorrow because of our sin, he says, this is a godly sorrow. It's a good sorrow. No, No pastor wants to talk about the fact that sometimes we need to suffer. But the Bible's full of this, full of this teaching, that this suffering is a thing that leads us to Christ. So that we find salvation, and we find in that salvation the joy and the happiness that Christ offers. This is why Jesus says, he says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But folks, it happens first when you weep. Because of your sin. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I became a Christian, and you've heard me say this so many times, but I have to say it again. When I became a Christian, I'm going to tell you, I remember weeping because I knew I was a sinner. I knew that I needed to get God's forgiveness. I was just a young kid, and yet so aware of my need of forgiveness of my sin. I wept, and I prayed, and I asked God to forgive me, of my sin, and then I felt the burden of sin just wash away, it was gone. And I felt like I could fly. And that's, you've heard me say that, the burden lifted, I felt like I could fly. What was going on here? Well, God washed my sins away, and he filled me with that supernatural happiness that he's talking about here. Blessed, happy are you who weep now. That's what I got. I got that sense of, of supernatural joy. And by the way, this is how I've tried to live my Christian life. Because as, as, my, as my wife Gloria and my children will say, I'm not perfect. But neither of you, so don't look at me like that. <laughs> You're not perfect either. In fact, you know how, how often you fall short. And folks, this is, this is what we weep about. God, I know I'm not where I need to be. I know my life is not what it ought to be. And I come to the throne of God, and I weep with sorrow because of my sin, because of my shortcoming, because of my failings. And God, God gently puts me back on track, and I'm going in the direction I need to go. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Hey, do you want to know why? We laugh, why we're able to laugh after weeping is because our sins are washed away. Our sins are gone. And it's not because I've got the ability to live a perfect life. I do not, and neither do you. And this is why someone was asking, well, what's your church like? Because the churches I've been to are very full of judgment, condemnation. I said, no, in our church, we don't judge or condemn each other because we are all very aware of how much we need the grace of God. Would you say amen to that? That's who we are. We're not perfect people here. We're a people who understand our need to come to the foot of the cross and find mercy and grace. We're people who weep now. Because we know of our need of Christ. You know, Israel experienced this very thing. They, they were given the, the, the promised land. You remember that. You remember your stories from Sunday school. And Joshua brings the people into the promised land. And they slowly, they, they, they claim the land. God gives them kings. And life is going really good for them. And then they, it's going so good that they forget God. Now this happens, doesn't it? Things are going well and I don't have time to pray and I got to miss church. Got to miss going to temple. I, I, I'm not studying the scriptures like I ought to because I'm busy. God, you know how busy I am. And we fire up prayers here and there and, and we figure that that's enough. And next thing you know, our hearts have grown cold. Well, that's exactly what happened to Israel. In fact, not only did their hearts grow cold, but then they started turning. To outside sources, like the sources I just finished telling you about, Confucius, Plato. Well, not necessarily them, but but other religions. They're turning to outside sources to find happiness, to find direction, to, to, to maybe widen their horizons. And next thing you know, they forgot all about God. And the next thing you know, they started acting like everybody else. And what does everybody else do? Everybody else sins. Everybody else forgets God. Everybody else is self-centered. Everybody else puts themselves first. The next thing you know, the children of Israel, the, the people of God, God's chosen people, look nothing like God's chosen people. They look nothing like the children of Israel. These people who are called the people of God are no longer the people of God. They're the people of God in name only. We might call them nominal Christians in name only. And so Jesus warns, you better weep now because of your spiritual state. And in that way, you know that you will laugh. You will find joy weeping may endure for the night but joy comes in the morning this is the lifestyle of of living a life of repentance of turning from your old way of life turning to the new not finding satisfaction in happiness, in the things of this world, but finding satisfaction, fulfillment in the things of Christ. Cursed are you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Listen, there's at least two kinds of people who fit into this category. First are those who, who actually, uh, they decide they don't need God. Maybe that's, maybe that's you today, I don't know. Maybe or it's people in your family. They may not come out ready to say it, but you know by the way they're living that they're saying, I don't need God. I don't need the church. I don't need Christ. I don't need Christianity. I don't need Jesus. That's what they're saying to you. And some are very vocal about it, very rude about it, and others just quietly mind their own business. But you know they don't need God. They will mock Christians. They'll mock the Christian faith. They'll mock Christians who are concerned about their spiritual condition. They'll mock them because they're seeking to please God and please God alone. By the way, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian today, that is your number one pursuit. That's that's the thing that concerns you most. It's doing the will of God. This is what holiness is. God says, be holy because I'm holy. Well, how do you do that? Well, you're concerned with doing the will of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. These people are not concerned about that at all. In fact, they mock the believer. These people will follow the teachings of of philosophers and other religious leaders, and they will seek to find their own source of happiness. You know what I'm talking about. Because that was but many of you were before you came to Christ. You tried to find your own own happiness. And some of you found happiness in in various ideas and various religions. Some of you found happiness in, in, in drugs, and alcohol, and sex, and all the vices. But you looked for happiness, you looked hard for it, but you just refused to turn to Christ. By the way, why do people refuse to turn to Christ? For one reason, and one reason alone. Pride. They're too proud. They will not bend their knee to God. I am the captain of my own ship. I am the captain of my own destiny. That's exactly why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We're not gonna, we want to be like you, God. You're not going to tell us what to do. And that's the problem of every human being. It's a problem of every child in every family. That's the problem. It's pride. No one's going to tell me what to do. And that's what this person is. No, they're going to they're figure out a way to laugh now. I don't need you, God, t- to make me happy. I'm going to find it on my own. I'm going to be self-sufficient. I'm going to be a self-made man. I'm going to have the career, and I'm going to set goals for myself, and I've got a great vision for my life, and I'm going to pursue those things, and I'm going to get what I want and and get what I need, and I'm going to go where I want to go, and God, you're not telling me what to do or how to do it. And Pastor Allen, you're not either. And Mom and Dad, you're not either. These people, they try to fill their hearts with laughter. They're the ones that keep comedians in business. When I was growing up, you very, there was only a handful of comedians that anybody knew about. And now, I mean, they're a dime a dozen. There's a channel devoted to humor. And we'll do everything we can to try to, 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 to fill our hearts with something that will make us laugh. Even if it's just momentary. Hey, the happiness that Jesus brings to us is not momentary. It's with you all the time. A joy and a peace that comes from heaven. And wherever you are, you feel that sense of great joy and contentment. But these people, not having any of it. They're self-sufficient. They've got it all together. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Religion is a crutch. And those who go to church and those who have to be a Christian, they're weak people. Oh, I beg to differ. Jesus was talking about a man like this in, uh, in Luke chapter 12. He was a farmer, a rich farmer, and he had the most amazing crop that you could ever have. In fact, he brought in so much harvest that he actually had to build extra barns because he didn't know what to do with it all. And, and he says this, he said, and he's talking to himself. I, I really get a kick out of this. It's, it's so contemporary. It's, it's so 2020. He says, and I'll sit back, I'll build my barns, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, talking to himself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and laugh. Have a ball. Throw yourself a party. Good times are here again. But Jesus says, woe to you. Cursed are you who laugh now. God said to this man, you fool. You fool. You'll die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Now who's laughing? Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now because I'm going to tell you, you and I need Christ. You and I need to come to the foot of the cross weeping now, repenting of our sin so that we may know the blessing of God so that we may laugh again. I told you about those who utterly reject christ well there's others who don't utterly reject christ these are the people they let's call them religious people they're smug and they're content in their religious achievements and their superficial morality oh they know how to tick all the boxes and do all the right things and they they keep all the rules but the fact of the matter is at the end of the day they're not really concerned about doing god's will and that, after all, is what a Christian is, is somebody who does the will of God. These people, they pretend to be spiritual, they pretend to be religious, and they're not trying to pretend. They're, it's not like they're setting up to think, hmm, let's see how I can pretend to be religious. No, that's not it at all. It's, it's just who they are and how they function. We, we sometimes call pretenders, we sometimes call them hypocrites or actors, well, Jesus is addressing these people who seem to, they seem to have it all together and they're laughing and they're telling the world like how wonderful I am, like how spiritual I am. And they know the lingo, they know all the doctrines. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're lukewarm. And here's what Jesus says about Christians who are lukewarm. He says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Serious stuff. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, good for nothing. These people, they love religious activity, involved in their church and serving, doing this and doing that and going here and going there, but the fact of the matter is they are hiding behind the grace of God and they're continuing to live however they want, breaking the laws of God, sinning against God, disobedient to the will of God, That's how so many of these people were that Jesus was teaching. Jesus wants these people that he's preaching to to understand what it is to truly follow God. And so he uses a Roman soldier as an example. What? Jesus, you're turning to a Roman soldier to teach the Jewish people how to be religious, how to be spiritual? Yes, this Roman soldier comes to Jesus and says, I have a servant that is sick and dying. Jesus, I need you to heal him. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to come to your home and I'm going to heal him. And the Roman soldier says, no, no, it's not necessary. I'm a man under authority. I understand how authority works. All you have to do is say the word and I know that my servant will be healed. This blows Jesus. Mind. Jesus cannot believe it. He said, there is... This man, this Roman soldier, is a man of real faith. He says, I have not seen such faith, such trust in God in all of Israel. Here's what Jesus says. He says, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles, a Gentile is somebody who's not Jewish, many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and they'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But, many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If that doesn't terrify you, then nothing will. These are people who are called God's people, the children of Israel who inherited the promised land. And Jesus says, they'll be thrown into outer darkness where there'll be weeping And gnashing of teeth let the Spirit of God speak to you right now because if you're going on your merry way and you don't care about the state of your heart and it's like I've I've gone to church I was baptized I'm a member of the church I give my tithes you're on your merry way and you don't give a rip about the condition, the spiritual condition of your heart, then, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, you are living perilously close to that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. This is a warning from on high. You want to know how to apply what I'm teaching you right now? It's do this. Say, God, search my heart. Show me where... I am falling short of your will and purpose. Show me, O oh God, what's not right. And ask the, God, ask the Lord God to touch your heart so that you may weep because of your sin. And the good news is that when you do that, the Lord Jesus will forgive you and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And when your sins have been washed away, you're going to be like what Jeremiah said to the, to the people coming back from exile, back to the promised land. He says, the young women will dance for joy and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy and I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. Hallelujah. This, my friends is what Jesus is talking about. A weeping because of our sinfulness. Discovering God's love and his forgiveness. God putting us back on track so that we can laugh again. That's what God wants for us. And I gotta tell you, true happiness in this life true blessing in this life, it only comes through Christ. It only comes through Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father, we're asking right now in the name of Jesus, reveal to us where we are falling short of your glory. Reveal to us, oh God, those areas in our lives that we have been arrogant and we refuse, God, to surrender to you. We ask now, Lord, that you would give us the grace and the enabling by your Spirit to help us, O God, to follow you, to do your will, to weep because of our sin, so that we may laugh and laugh in the Spirit. Father, may we take to heart this warning, cursed, To you who laugh now, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. God, help us, we pray, to reject the notions of happiness that this world offers. Help us to see that happiness is in Christ alone. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, turn to Christ.